the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favor one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son. And you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Oh, holy night. Welcome to Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics, where the conversation always gives you a foundation that is built on biblical principles, so you can intellectually and critically learn to weigh out decisions about life with truth, facts, contradictions, and the reality we live in and history. Covers topics like apologetics worldviews, contemporary culture, and the Word of God to help you articulate a defense for how to live your Christian life. See how you can get involved and support Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. Well, hello. My name is Jonathan Hyatt. Some of you may have heard me last week. I have the joy of being married to your host, Stacy Hyatt president and founder of Throughout All Ages Ministry. Today, only a few days before New Year's, we do our study on When I Survey the Wonders Cross. Thank you for joining us. New Year's Day often comes with our half-hearted New Year's resolutions that fizzle out over weeks. Losing 10 pounds, exercising daily, or joining a gym or maybe a new project around the house that never seems to get done. But today, we are going to take our focus off of ourselves and examine the wondrous cross of Jesus. Our last time together, we looked at some of the names of God given to Christ in Isaiah 9-6. Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Today, we will look at one of the great hymns of the faith, 
When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, written by Isaac Watts. This is indeed fitting for our study, for he is wonderful, and that is why his cross is wondrous. The following scripture references deal with surveying. Ezekiel 40, 42, 45, and 47. Surveying is done in those chapters with a measuring reed or a measuring line. In Zechariah 2, 1 to 2, Jerusalem is measured. Amos 7, 7 to 8 records the Lord standing on a wall with a plumb line. A Google research says a plumb line is a line from which weight is suspended to determine verticality or depth. It can stand for literally being right. God uses the illustration of the plumb line in Amos to portray what he means by righteousness. The person who is righteous has been measured against the standard of God's law. Isaiah 28:17 says, And I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line. Revelation 11 and 21 describe a measuring rod. 2 Kings 21.3 and Lamentations 2.8 refer to a measuring line. All of these passages have to do with surveying. Have you ever seen a surveyor on a road or at a future construction site? Many times they are peering through the lens of a camera on their equipment, using laser or other means to take in measurements and data. This job is very important, and it must be done before any work gets approved. Without it, our buildings would be unstable, and our roads would not last long. Here are some of Webster's definitions of survey. To inspect or scrutinize, to examine as to condition or value, appraise or query someone in order to collect data for analysis of some aspect of a group or area, to determine and delineate the form, extent, and position of a tract of land by taking linear measurements and by applying the principles of geometry and trigonometry, to view or consider comprehensively, use special equipment to conduct measurements and evaluations of sites, develop land survey reports, and perform calculations, measure land features such as depth and shape based on reference points, examine records, verify data, prepare maps, and reports to future clients, maintain a national land code, and national maps and ordinances. Today, instead of doing that, we're going to survey the Wonders Cross. When I Survey the Wonders Cross was written by Isaac Watts. Robert J. Morgan gives us the story behind the hymn and the great hymn writer in his book, Then Sings My Soul, Book 2, 150 of the World's Greatest Hymns, Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. After Isaac Watts finished his college studies and returned home to Southampton, he wrote many of his now immortalized hymns for Above Bar Congregational Church. In 1696, Isaac, 22, left home for London to become a tutor. All the while, he was feeling a clear tug toward ministry. On his 24th birthday, July 17, 1698, Isaac preached his first sermon. The following year, he became assistant pastor of London's Mark Lane Church. In March of 1700, 
Isaac received a long letter from his brother Enoch, urging him to publish the hymns he had written in Southampton. The letter said, Dear brother, in your last letter you mentioned an inclination to oblige the world by showing it your hymns in print, and I heartily wish that you were something more than inclinable thereunto. I am very confident whoever has the happiness of reading your hymns will have a very favorable opinion of their author. There is a great need of a pen vigorous and lively as yours to quicken and revive the dying devotion of the age. Yours now is the old truth, stripped of its ragged ornaments, and appears, if we may say so, younger by ages in a new and fashionable dress. Isaac, however, hesitated. He had other obligations on his time. On March 8, 1702, he became Mark Lane's pastor. The next year, 1703, the church chose Samuel, Prince of Wells, to assist Isaac due to the latter's fragile health. Under the preaching of these two, the old dying church revived. The building grew too small for the crowds, and a new house of worship was built down the street. Finally, in 1707, Watts published his hymns, selling the copyright to a Mr. Lawrence, the publisher, for ten pounds. This volume was an instant success. It was enlarged and republished in 1709. When I Survey the Wondrous Cross appeared in his 1707 book of hymns inspired by Galatians 6.14. It was originally titled Crucifixion to the World by the Cross of Christ. Many consider it the finest hymn in English church history, and Charles Wesley reportedly said he would rather have written it than all his own. By the way, Charles Wesley wrote over 6,500 hymns. You are listening to Throughout All Ages Ministry. Verse 1. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. The Prince of Glory, 1 Corinthians 2.8 which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. What is my richest gain? Friend, what do you consider to be your richest gain? Would it be your house, your job, your car? Philippians 3, 7 to 8. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. What is my pride? What am I most proud of in my life? What am I offended by? How do I pour contempt on all my pride? Philippians 2.17 says, Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on a sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Again, in 2 Timothy 4, 6, Paul says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. Psalm 10, 4. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. Proverbs eight thirteen, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance in an evil way in a perverse mouth. I hate. In Second Samuel three sixteen, David is 
thirsty and hiding with his army in a cave from the Philistine troops. Three valiant men break into the Philistine camp at night to draw water from a well and bring it back to King David for a much-needed drink. Second Samuel twenty-three sixteen to 17 says, So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink it, but poured it out to the Lord. And he said, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. We see David's humble attitude here. He he very easily could have taken a drink, but he symbolically and literally offered his drink, the one thing his valiant men thought that he needed most, to the Lord. James 4, 6 says, But he gives more grace. Therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 4, 9 speaks of security and wisdom. She will place on your head an ornament of grace, a crown of glory she will deliver to you. Christmas is over, and a new year is ready to begin. As you take down your Christmas ornaments, remember to seek the ornament of grace and wait patiently for your crown of glory. Verse 2. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. What do we get excited to talk about? Our passions, travels, cars, kids, or grandkids? Jeremiah 9.24, But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Philippians 2.5-11 Let this mind be in you which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even a death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We see here that the Creator gave up everything to give us everything so that we could give it back to Him. Now we look at verse 3. See from His head, His hands, His feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Sorrow and love Isaiah 53, 3. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Jesus knows what it is like to experience sorrow and grief and to be utterly rejected by men. He can sympathize and understand our pain. Hebrews 4, 15 For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was, in all points, tempted as we are, yet without sin. 
John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 10.15 As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus willingly laid down his life for you and for me because of his sorrow for our sin and his love for us. Now verse 4. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Friend, if we owned the entire world, it would be too small of a present to offer to God. Salvation is a free gift. Mark eight thirty six. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Demands my all. Romans 12.1-2 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. James one seventeen. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we may be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Next I will read to you, a story I wrote in my second book, Notes from a Postman 2. This story is called The Lofty Branch, and it describes some pride that I was going through in my life. The Lofty Branch knew that it was time that he became bent down and brought down low. One of his smaller branches had become prideful and had hardened its heart. Its once promising green leaves were now suddenly falling from the small, prideful branch and landing on the ground. The small prideful branch inquired, Why are my green leaves falling off from me? I'm the best branch around here. This tree deserves my glory. The master replied, O lofty branch, you have survived many storms. You are seasoned and bear the marks of the master. Wilt thou now forget thy knots and thy scars? You have been pruned and fashioned for my glory. Like a weeping willow, the lofty branch lowered his giant bow and braced for the axe of the master. As he wept, he waited and waited for the swing of the master's axe. As his tears began to dry, the lofty branch heard a small snap and crackle. To his amazement, the small prideful branch lay on the ground beneath his bow. Master, when did you cut off my branch? The lofty branch said. That small prideful branch was already dead. You just needed to let it go of it and give it to me, the master replied. The lofty branch looked down at the small prideful dead branch lying on the ground. A young boy picked up the dead stick and played with it for a while, before discarding it on a pile of other dead sticks and branches. These would be gathered for the master at their appointed time for the fire to be burned. The lofty branch stretched out his arms and seemed to stand just a little bit taller than he was before. He could feel the precious sap of his master penetrating to his very dry bones, giving him strength and nourishment for the day. Streams of mercy and rivers of grace began to water the thirsty roots of the tree he was connected to. Small, promising-looking, inquisitive shoots on the lofty branch began to inquire of him. Did it hurt, O lofty branch, to be pruned by your master? My friends, 
it actually hurt me more to hold on to my small prideful branch than it did to let it go, replied the lofty branch. If you abide with the master, you too will continue to grow strong, he continued. The gentle breeze began to sway the lofty branch to and fro. He felt secure in a master's garden of grace. He often used to doubt why he was planted in this very spot. He even questioned why some of the other branches were grafted into the tree with him. But deep inside, the lofty branch had placed his faith in his master, who had planted him in the first place several years ago. He had started as a small sapling. Many of his friends had turned away from the truth and ventured out on their own, perishing in the heat of the day, yet he had remained in the garden of grace. The lofty branch used to look at the other trees and their branches, desiring to grow in their fashion. Why can't I grow in an oak or a pine? Why can't I bear fruit like an orange or an apple? The lofty branch would say. You are in the very tree where I placed you, the master replied. Consider the lilies of the field beneath your branches. They neither toil nor spin, yet they are not arrayed as even Solomon was in all of his splendor. Look to the birds of the air. I care for them too. I know when even one of them falls to the ground, taught the master. The lofty branch swayed in the wind. Suddenly a small sparrow landed on one of his shoots. It hopped over to one of his bigger branches, landing near a flower blossom. The lofty branch had never noticed the flower blossom before. Indeed, as he scanned his branches, several buds and blossoms were beginning to sprout, with bees and hummingbirds seeking their pollen and nectar. These flowers would eventually become fruit for his master. The master smiled as he walked through his garden of grace. He walked near an empty tomb with a huge stone that he had once rolled away. He looked at his trees covered with his son's grace and declared them all good. The lofty branch gloried in his master. As he scanned his branches one last time for the day, his new growth was beginning to take shape. Old twigs of sin he had once clung to now lay on the ground beneath his bow. He swayed a little bit more just in case he had missed a dead twig. Evening had come. It was almost time to rest. The lofty branch, along with all of the other branches and trees in the Garden of Grace, surveyed the wondrous cross placed on a small hill called Calvary. They remembered the master's son who had placed himself there. They looked to the empty tomb where he had risen. They breathed in the spirit of truth and found the comfort, peace, and serenity of their master. They could rest now. Their master was good and his children covered with his son. They knew that they were good too, for they had been fashioned and created in his image. My friend, if you receive Christ as your Lord today and repent of your sins, you too will become one of his children and be grafted into his family. On behalf of Throughout All Ages Ministry, Stacy and I would like to wish you a very happy new year. If you are interested in reading more of my writings, you can find them on Amazon. Written by Jonathan C. Hyatt, Notes from a Postman, a collection of poems, thoughts, and prayers. And Notes from a Postman, too, a collection of poems, thoughts, and prayers. Thank you for allowing me to be your host today, and thank you for listening to Throughout All Ages Ministry. This has been Throughout All Ages 1530 Apologetics. You can learn more about your host and how to support and get involved with 1530 Apologetics by visiting ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. That's ThroughoutAllAgesMinistries.com. Join Stacy again next week. Look for Stacy on any podcast platform under Throughout All Ages. Please subscribe and leave a review. So I won't let the world around us tell me what to think or say or do. 
Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Happy birthday, Jesus! Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.